I'm going to be breathing out fire, so. As I was preparing this sermon several weeks ago, I had decided to, to focus on the familiar Martha Mary story in the Gospel, thinking maybe I'll find a new angle. Um, however, with all the additional murders and killings and increased violence, I thought I need to take another look at the lection, particularly the Amos passage which doesn't bless your soul when you first hear it, that's for sure. There's actually a connection between the two passages that Bill read for us this morning. 800 years apart in time, spanning the history between the message of the prophet Amos and the life of Jesus sitting in the home of Mary and Martha in Bethany. So beginning with Amos, if you know the history of ancient Israel, you know that after the reigns of King David and his son Solomon, there was a civil war of sorts in Israel, after which the country was split, the north and the south. The southern state of Judah remained loyal to the line of David and maintained Jerusalem as their capital, while the much larger state in the north set up their capital city in Samaria and built there an alternate temple which, according to the book of Chronicles, was the beginning of the end. The importance of this with regard to Amos is that he was a shepherd from the south, from the southern state of Judah, but was preaching in the north. This was a point of tension for Amos. And when he comes into conflict with the northern religious authorities, he's told to go back home and mind his own business. But Israel and its neighbors had oppressed the poor, and Amos was given the job of announcing God's fury. He denounced the injustice of Damascus and Tyre, and Edom and Gaza, and Judah as well, standing at the gate of the royal shrine at Bethel, where he said that God was disgusted with their worship. Not only that, but the politics were corrupt. The suffering of the poor, intolerable. Money had become the people's first concern. Amos warned that in addition, the fraudulent economic gains would cause the people to be taken into slavery. When people are being destroyed, whether it be acts of individual violence or through the drug trade, through relationship breakdown, or through the legitimized, legalized violence of unjust political or economic systems, none of us can turn a blind eye. Saying that's just the way things are is really no excuse. Hiding behind company policy or blaming the system will not cut it with the Almighty, according to Amos. The people of northern Israel ultimately had to learn this lesson the hard way when their Assyrian neighbors came down and crushed their system and destroyed their nation about 30 years after Amos had come and warned them. In our passage today, God called Amos to prophesy to the northern kingdom by showing him a bowl of beautiful summer fruit. 
However, this delicious looking ripe fruit would only last a short while before it would begin to rot. Biblical Hebrew commentators have noted a play on words here. The word for ripe summer fruit, teis, sounds very similar to the Hebrew word meaning end, teis. And this is how the double meaning was conveyed. Whatever appeal the luscious summer fruit expressed, behind it was Amos' sense that God's patience had worn out. Israel's greed and injustice toward the poor would not be tolerated. Beginning with verse 4, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and destroy the poor of the land. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great. In other words, the dollar worthless and the penny valuable. And practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And going on, For the days are surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send hunger and thirst on the land, neither a hunger for bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the Lord's words. Listen to Amos' concern for the poor and links with our own time. The multitude of unemployed citizens of our cities, kids who cannot find a job, college students who can't find summer work, retirees whose savings are nearly gone, those whose homes are in foreclosure, the lack of affordable housing, racial profiling, the list just goes on as we hear devastating news the media constantly bombards us with. The insecurity creates anxiety and fear. And sometimes in our insecurity, we have convinced ourselves that if we could just have enough money, we can buy what we need, security, well-being, the good life, maybe even happiness. We fear what is happening out there, the anger and violence that we don't understand. It's not our problem after all, right? So we try and cushion our lives with stuff we cannot afford to protect ourselves from the very ones God and Jesus called us to love as our neighbors. Let us pray that in our own turbulent times, we can come up with a less brutal solution than what befell the ancient Israelites. We need to find a solution for bringing life and health and humanity back into our economic and political systems. Amos tells us that the poor, the marginalized, the victims of physical, mental, economic abuse are of God's special concern. Last week, Pastor Matt spoke about the Samaritan, an outcast by the ones in authority and power, who actually heard and responded to the man wounded and crying in the ditch, one whom Jesus called a neighbor. Walking around the neighborhood these days with earbuds planted firmly in our ears, how could we possibly hear someone crying? More on that later on and it will bring good news. The word that is used in Amos for hunger and thirst is famine. In this sense, it means more than just a lack of food, but also starvation, 
deprivation, a shortage in need, in want. Famine is lack, insufficiency, hardship, distress. Famine is the opposite of abundance. We actually hunger and thirst for something more than that which money can buy. There is a deep longing within that leaves us unsatisfied by the stuff we acquire. There's an emptiness, a sense of futility to all the economic woes of our times. There is an insecurity that is there in our lives that we keep trying to satisfy with other things. But it doesn't work because the hunger that we have is for something deeper and more enduring than what money can buy. There are many scriptures in the Bible that speak of famines and droughts. This particular scripture is speaking, though, of famine, a famine of the word of God. It is speaking of an absence of God's word, a time of hunger and thirsting for the word of God. In verse 12 in Amos 8, it says, They're running from sea to sea, from north to east, and to and fro, seeking and searching for the word and not finding it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what the world would be like if there was a spiritual famine? What it would be like if the word of God was not available? If there were people who were searching for the word and could not find it? What would this world be like? Perhaps this is what so many in our world are already experiencing now. Jay Leno used to do a man-on-the-street interview. And one might be collared, he collared some young people to ask them questions about the Bible. Can you name one of the Ten Commandments, he asked two college-age young women. One replied, freedom of speech? Mr. Leno said to the other one, complete this sentence. Let he who is without sin, her response was, have a good time. Jay then turned to a young friend and asked, who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? The confident answer was, Pinocchio. Has a famine already begun? As the people of God, what are we to do? Not hunker down and distract ourselves, hoping things will just get better somehow and our anxiety will ease. We can focus on and share what God has given us with the rest of the land because if the land is in spiritual famine, it affects us all. We can either make a difference and shed our light and share the word of God with a hungry, thirsting, hurting land, or we can watch this spiritual famine take place while God looks at us wondering, where are my witnesses? Where are my caretakers? Where are my people? There is a famine in the land. Let's take a look now at the gospel passage in Luke. Mary shows us what to do, as we heard in the story today in Luke's gospel. Jesus came to spend time and breaks bread with Mary and Martha. And rather than bustle around anxiously in the kitchen like Martha, Mary had the courage to pay attention to the hunger of her soul and sit at Jesus' feet 
and listen to what he said. It's not that hospitality is unimportant, not that Martha's efforts were wasted, but when Martha nagged Mary for not helping her, she imposed on Mary her own anxiety over immediate concerns that Mary had already laid aside in order to pay attention to the incredible opportunity that had arrived for her, which was to feed the hunger, not of her body, but of her soul. How unusual for that time and culture for a man to commend a woman for participating in male conversation rather than focusing on serving him food. Jesus was clearly trying to make a significant point, and maybe more than one point. The common thread that binds the Amos passage with a visit of Jesus to the home of Mary and Martha is the emptiness that Amos and Mary share, a readiness to receive out of their poverty of spirit the filling of that emptiness with the fullness of God. Jesus is showing us here how to avoid a spiritual famine. Mary was focused and had her priorities straight. Martha was distracted by many things, Jesus tells her. Distracted? Do you ever get distracted? Lest you think in the midst of all this heavy talk about sin and its consequences that I have no sense of humor, the story is told about a farmer who told his wife that he was going out to pluck the ripe fruits from his field. He got off to an early start so he could warm up the truck. He needed more gas, so he took the car to the store to get some. On the way to the store, however, he noticed the pigs weren't fed, so he proceeded to the corn crib where he found some sacks of feed. Beside the sacks were potatoes that were sprouting. Then when he started for the potato pit, he passed the wood pile and remembered that his wife wanted some wood in the house. As he picked up a few sticks, an ailing chicken walked by. He dropped the wood and picked up the chicken. When noon arrived, the frustrated farmer had not even gotten to the truck, let alone to the field. By now, it was very hot. Some of the ripe fruit had already dropped to the ground. Have you ever intended to do something you thought was very important, but found yourself in a similar situation, distracted by many other seemingly important things, which kept you from accomplish, accomplishing your main objective? Here today, we're talking about the objective of focusing on God and God's righteousness and not being distracted by not only our all-important-to-do list, but our fears and anxieties as well. The link between the account of Amos and Mary is their awareness of their hunger for righteousness, their longing for God. It is the beginning point for whatever God is going to do in our lives and in our world. This is how we need to be mindful the emptiness within, the slowness of the summer days, the unfinished nature of things, the stress of increased violence in our world, the impatience and even disgust of the whole current presidential election process. Until we identify the gnawing hunger for God, 
We cannot yet be ready for what it is that God would like to do. But the promise is that God will act. Beyond our ability to foul things up, our greed, our selfish interests and disregard for God's creation, including God's creatures, God will act. If we take the time to immerse ourselves in God's word and tune in to what the Holy Spirit can teach us, we can respond with the love of God in ways that might even surprise us. Getting back to be able to hear the cries of our neighbors. A Methodist pastor tells of an experience he had that illustrates this point. He recalls, I was driving one day when I saw a hitchhiker by the side of the road, loaded down with a couple of bags. Now I make it a practice normally not to pick up hitchhikers, which may in itself be a refusal to hear the cry of those needy of transportation. But in this particular instance, I was rounding a curve and did not see him until I was almost beside him. And my response of jamming on the brakes and stopping for him was so impulsive and so instantaneous that it surprised even me. As the young man loaded his bags into the back seat and climbed in beside me, it did not take very much conversation for me to discover that he was a Christian. I had noticed as he approached the car, he had a severe limp. And when I asked him about it, he told me of an injury and operation he had, he had just had a short time before. In fact, he revealed that at the time I stopped, he had given up being able to walk another step and was praying fervently that someone would stop. I eventually went out of my way even to take the young man all the way to his destination. After I left, I kept running through my mind just how unlikely the whole incident was. I wondered why I'd even stopped in the first place. In retrospect, I attribute it to this, that the spirit within us causes us to respond to the cry for mercy. I did not hear that cry for mercy, but the Spirit did. And I believe that the Spirit within caused me to respond in a way I would not have otherwise. End of quote. As Christians, we have the resources available to us to respond to the brokenness that is rampant in our world. We need to recognize the hunger for what it really is. And we do it as we can, wherever the opportunity presents itself. Barbara Brown Taylor, a wonderful writer and preacher, suggests that we live in a time when people are hungry for God and there is spiritual famine in our land. She says in one of her Beecher lectures at Yale that, quote, the work of the preacher is not to end the human hunger and thirst for God's word, but to intensify it until the whole world bangs its forks for God's food. That is what the famine is for, according to scripture. This is why God has hidden God's face, to increase our sense of loss until we are so hungry and lonely for God that we will do something about it. Not only just one by one, but also as a people who are once again ready 
to leave our flesh pots in search of real food, end of quote. Maybe we need something like spiritual Fitbits, a way to track our spiritual obligations to God and our neighbors. This isn't a real Fitbit, but it's my prayer bracelet, a tangible, constant reminder that I need to be prayerful. As we take the time to pray, to meet regularly with God's people, to be nourished by the word and table, we can be bearers of good news, witnesses of hope and healing. We can be open to the spirit of God within us to respond to cries of need that we may not even be able to hear within our own human limitations. Let us listen today for the world's banging of forks for God's food. Amen.